I work nonstop, which again, good and bad. I think investors like hearing that, you know, but, but for me, it's like, you know, I haven't had a social life in over a year. I put up a ton of money. I basically self-funded for a very long time. Uh, as I said earlier, my credit score now reflects that and my bank account now reflects that. And I got to tell you, man, I mean, it's, it's tough. Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear my chat with Sim Harmon from Cut, which is the social betting platform. In this discussion, Sim talks about the problems he sees with the current state of sports betting and how Cut is addressing it with its peer-to-peer model. He also discusses the potential of betting on non-sports markets, the challenges of fundraising, and an honest assessment of the sacrifices needed to take an idea from zero to one. I really enjoyed this episode with Sim, and I hope you do as well. But before we get started, I wanted to let you know that the Challenger Series Summit is coming to Las Vegas this October before G2E. Co-hosted by GeoComply and City, the Challenger Series Summit is a unique networking opportunity to learn from US iGaming founders and entrepreneurs who will be sharing the hacks, tips, and tricks to achieve high growth. I was fortunate enough to attend the last edition of the series earlier this year in New York and can confirm that this is a must-attend event for industry founders and senior executives alike. RSVP to attend the Las Vegas Summit on October 8th before G2E, which you can do by visiting www.geocomply.com. All right, we are back here on the Betting Startups podcast, and we're recording this one on Friday morning after the Thursday nighter that officially ushered in the 2023 NFL season. Obviously, we still have a full slate of games this weekend, which of course will have played out by the time this episode is released. But to at least get that first game out of the way is a huge milestone for all builders in this space, including today's guest, Sim Harmon from Cut. And Sim, I know you've had an intense week getting ready for kickoff. So just to check in, man, how are you feeling this morning to at least have this first game out of the way? And I guess as importantly, what do you make of the somewhat surprising outcome with Kansas City losing at home to Detroit? Uh, well, well, Jesse, first off, thank you so much for having me. I'm um, honored to be here. Uh, I think you and I kind of chatted about this a second ago, but I think it's a big relief for, uh, for, for most people in the space. Go ahead and get that first game over with, right? Um, I think there's a lot of buildup, fairly or unfairly, around football season. I feel like that's a, you know, a... a a bit of a line in the sand that a lot of people, you know, kind of are, are, are anticipating and waiting for. So it was good to get that over with. Um, can't say that I was super surprised last night. I was kind of expecting a close game, but, you know, I think uh, I think the Chiefs could have easily won that had some of their receivers decided to catch the ball this last night. But happy for Detroit. I think, uh, I, think, I think their fans deserve, you know, big wins like this every once in a while. And, and I think this year is going to be a good year for them. So. For sure. Well, as far as the receivers go, it's made for some pretty good memes on Twitter this morning, at least. So I've been enjoying that. Uh, it's been rather amusing. Yeah, I, 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 I saw I saw Butterf- I don't know if it's true or not, but I saw Butterfingers had a nice little uh, <laughs> nice, nice little ad ready to go for uh, for some of the Kansas City receivers. So uh, that's savage. <laughs> yeah, right on. Well, happy to have you here, Sim. I look forward to jumping into everything that you're up to with Cut. But before we get there, let's just start at the beginning. And if you could give folks listening a bit of a sense of who you are, uh, your background, maybe some of the major chapters of your journey up until founding Cut. Yeah, you know, I, I wish I had some like really fun, exciting story about my life. But, you know, I'm, uh, I guess I'm your average all working guy. You know, I guess background wise, uh, once I graduated college, I went into finance. I worked for UBS Wealth Management for close to five years, uh, then I moved to New- and that was in Atlanta, Georgia, moved to New York City. After that, um, and I worked for a FinTech job, financial sales job for about five and a half years. Personally, I'm a guy from a super small town, South Carolina. So for me, I always wanted to get into the, what I call quote unquote, the big city, right? And so for me, that was Atlanta, the New York. But 
job aside, you know, I've always been a gambler. Uh, I've always been the kind of guy, you know, sports fanatic. We have the South Carolina Gamecocks here. That, that's my team. And I've unfortunately chosen them, putting my allegiance to them from a very young age. And so, you know, I kind of live and die by sports. And, you know, it was something that I always did. And so this was kind of a natural progression. I wanted to start my own business, uh, be my own boss. And, you know, cut was something that I think combined several of my passions. And so that's where we are today. Right on. And let's just talk about, I guess, the origins of cut. I mean, uh, where did the idea come from and, and, and why did he decide to sort of pivot from the, the finance world and, and take that leap into entrepreneurship and sort of make cut your thing? Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I, I'm sure like most people is like, Hey, I'm already doing this. Why not make a business out of it? Right. <laughs> I'm already betting. Um, so I mean, listen, I, I, I'm in my early thirties. I've been betting for over half my life. You know, I, I think you and I talked about this. I've, I'm the kind of guy that I've got, you know, 15 different apps on my phone. I have been using the offshore book since I was young. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that or not, but, you know, but, but since I was 15, 16, 17 years old, but you know, the real genesis, the real origin story of cut was really just my friend and I sitting at the lunch table, right? Lunch table in high school, we're sitting there, we're saying, Hey, who's going to score more points tonight, Kobe or LeBron, right? And you all put 10 bucks in. Okay. I want this. I want that. And then you come in the next day and you settle up, right? And so for me, this is something that my friends have done for years. We're still very active in our group chat. Hey, who wants this tonight? Who wants that tonight? And so, you know, one day I said, you know what, there's gotta be a way to formalize this. Um, and obviously we'll talk about cut in a second, but that's, that's kind of the, the basis of cut, right? Is formalizing these bets that you make with your friends as well as other people. Right. And so that was the origin story. You know, I think everyone over time, they found better ways to do it, whether it's via Venmo, whether it's via, you know, group chats or whatever. But for me, it's always been something that I have done on a personal side. And so I figured with whenever Passport was repealed back in 2018, I said, you know what, maybe there's a business to be made out of this. And so started, uh, started down the path of entrepreneurship at that point. And, uh, several years later, feel like I'm finally got done chasing my ass. So, uh, Finally, uh, finally to a point where I think we have a viable business. Well, awesome. Well, let's get into that a little bit and start to unpack it all. And uh, just for folks listening that might not be familiar with Cut, can you just start with a high concept overview, talk about who it's for and just what the overall value proposition of it is? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I, I tell people I used to have this long, long, long pitch, but I try to distill it a bit more. So Cut is one-on-one -on -one betting. We call it social betting. So one-on-one -on -one betting with a ton of social features, right? Basically, we allow two people to bet directly against each other on the outcome of just about anything, right? So long as it has a verifiable outcome, you can, in theory, bet it on cut, right? We take care of the monetary side of things, right? So we take care of the transaction, the payment, make sure no one can flake on actually paying. And then, as I said, we have a ton of cool social features that make it very similar to a social note, right? So it's kind of one parts uh, betting, one parts peer-to-peer -peer payments, one parts social network. I guess, you know, in summary, it's like, you know, we, we capture, track and monetize all the handshake bets that you're making on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, again, it's not just sports, right? So I mentioned anything with a verifiable outcome. I think for us, for now, what that means is sports, politics, pop culture, um, you know, maybe some finance, I mean, esports, maybe in the future, eventually want to get into things like social betting, purely personal bets, meaning like, Hey, let's, let's make a bet on this gender reveal part. It's just going to be a boy or a girl. Um, but we're not quite there yet. So that's, that's kind of the, the premise of it. And then, as I said, it's, it's very social in nature. So we have things like, you know, chats, leaderboards, user profiles. Um, and, and, and our thought is these are the kind of things that makes bet, that make betting fun, more interactive, 
more social and, and more community oriented, which I think is, is largely missing from a lot of the existing operators in, in the space right now. Yeah. And I, I was just going to actually ask that, uh, you know, the majority of the audience will be familiar with, uh, some of the other products on the market, sort of in the exchange space and some of the other, you know, sort of social peer to peer type products out there. So can you talk just a bit about how, I, I guess it is differentiated and maybe what makes it sort of unique vis-a-vis -vis some of these other offerings that are on the market right now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll, I'll start with the traditional model, which, you know, I think is easy and I think what everyone understands, right? So when I say traditional model, I mean the house model, right? The FanDuel, DraftKings, Caesars, MGMs of the world. If you're a fan of one of those or work at one of those and you're listening to this, might want to, might want to plug your ears for a second. <laughs> but uh, I think in a lot of, a lot of our peers agree that, that are starting down the peer, peer, excuse me, the peer to peer path is that the traditional model is outdated. Right. It's a very cookie cutter experience for all users, right? Whether you go to FanDuel or DraftKings or wherever, it feels the same. Well, it might be different UI, but you know, user experience is the same. Um, it's very expensive, right? So all this, you know, nine and 10% big that's being charged, I think is ludicrous. It's wild. And, and I think there's been just overall very little innovation in that space, right? As we mentioned, they've had a good model going for a long time. Why change it? So I think that's their mindset. And I think what you're starting to see now is, is hopefully more of a user mindset, right? As, as younger, younger generation comes to market, these are people who have been users, you know, for so long of these traditional books and, and have hopefully, and what I think's happening is have thought of ways to say, Hey, this can be better. And so I think that's what you're seeing is the proliferation of a lot of these, you know, newer models, whether it's, you know, live betting, whether it's peer to peer, whether it's exchange betting, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, getting back to your original question though, is like, you know, how are we different or, or similar? Um, so for better or for worse, I think peer to peer is all up together. Um, you know, again, neither good nor bad, but I would argue that there are really two main groups within peer to peer. There are the exchanges, right? And then there is the social side of it. Uh, the exchange model. So like I personally, I love the exchange model. Again, I come from a, a world of finance. I love that. It makes inherent sense to me. But what I do think that that misses is the social nature um, and the engaging community nature that I've described that we're trying to build a cut, right? And an exchange is a very transactional model. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but you know, you, when you think of that, it, it seems very financial, right? People are coming in and people are saying, oh, I want to get a slightly better price on this, you know, basically submit my, submit my bet and see if it's built, right? Whereas for us, um, you know, we have our social features, chats, groups, leaderboards, and some other stuff. You know, I think that that reflects more of the nature of people's betting habits, which is usually done in friend groups or with other people who, you know, have a shared interest, right? I'm still the kind of guy that goes on a message board every once in a while. Again, I'm a South Carolina Gamecock fan. We all go to commiserate, right? <laughs> it's like a giant online therapy session after a loss and that sense of community. I think it's something that no one has quite replicated within the sports betting model. Um, and so I think that that is really how we differentiate ourselves because we are trying to capture that uh, within cut. Got it. And then I guess just talking about the business model and again, acknowledging that some of the exchanges in the market now have differentiated business models themselves. And then you layer on some of these other P2P or, or social betting products. Um, there's some different models that are being attempted out there. So how are you approaching the, the monetization side of all of this? Yeah. I mean, our, it's super simple. So we do take fees from each bet that's, uh, that's consummated. We have other ways of making money that we're exploring, but that's the main one for now. I'll just go ahead and say this to go ahead and get the, get this out of the way is that a lot of people are like, well, wait a minute, why am I paying you or why am I paying a platform 
for bets that I'm going to make against our friend, you know, or one of my friends, right? Or just someone else. Like, why can't I do that for free on Venmo? And listen, that's a, that's a valid argument. What I would say to that is, listen, if you're always getting paid by your friends, always getting paid the right amount and always getting paid right on time, yeah, you might not need cut. I mean, you know, social aspects and, and other aspects aside, other features aside, yeah, maybe you don't need cut. But what we're basically presenting them is a chance to say, hey, we're going to eliminate all of the counterparty risk, you know, uh, the chance that the other party might flake, which may not be a case with your friends. For some people it is. Um, as well as give you the opportunity to bet against other people that you might not otherwise know. Layer in on top of that, you know, the fact that we do have all these other fun features, you know, um, and, and that's, that's kind of our, our counter argument to that question. So the transaction fees hopefully are small enough uh, that we can capture, you know, both people who are looking for, um, you know, ways to eliminate that counterparty risk with betting with their friends, as well as people who think that the house model is entirely too expensive. You know, you and I talked before just about how you sort of structured the platform and, and sort of taking the position that it's a, a game of skill. Um, can you just talk a little bit about that and, and sort of how you've thought about that side of, of building this business? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I'm sure there are many people listening to this right now. They're like, oh, wait a minute, that's that's gambling. You know, they need to be licensed, right? What I would say is wrong. You know, I'll, I'll let you argue with our legal team. But yeah, I mean, you, you, you alluded to it a second ago. So basically, we have taken the position that we are a skill-based game. Uh, we have several features in the app that allow us to operate as such. Primary of them is the fact that all of our bets are fully customizable and negotiable, right? So it's essentially it's two consenting counterparties are creating the terms of the bet, and then they agree to it. And then in addition to that, we also track the performance of everyone that's 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 using our app, right? So we can point to some people and say, hey, you know, they have used their analysis and due diligence to become the best NFL better. They're hitting 56, 57% of their bets. Whereas someone like me who doesn't do their homework, you know, had a bets, bets based off of, uh, off of, uh, ego or just a uh, whim, I might hit 40, you know, 45% of my NFL bets. Right. And so again, it's the negotiation component of it, um, as well as the social features, you know, and as well, like the crack that I think really buffers our argument. I will say this. I mean, it always blows my mind how a lot of people in the betting industry, this kind of be, I mean, I'm going off on a tangent here, but it blows my mind how a lot of people in the betting industry, they embrace, you know, the cappers, the touts, the quote unquote professional bookmakers, but in the same breath say that there is not skill in coming up with odds, right? You know, or, or worse that player, you know, choosing player props, you know, Josh Allen's going to have over 270 yards passing somehow that skill yet the bills winning by three or three and a half is not skill, right? So I, I think there are a lot of holes in the existing legal and regulatory structure that a lot of companies like cut are exploring right now and finding, finding ways, um, you know, to, to kind of create a product that satisfies, you know, the laws as they're written right now. Yeah, fair enough. And, you know, I guess the other thing I, I always ask people that are operating a B2C product is just on the user acquisition side, right? I mean, it's a, a busy space. There's a lot of different things competing for people's attention and mind share and, and wallet share. And, you know, how are you thinking about scaling user acquisition and uh, what's, what's, I guess, worked for you guys so far? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I, I think anyone will tell you that's, that's the toughest part. You know, I think when I first started, I was like, oh, we've got such a great product, you know, we'll be able to get to 10 million users in two weeks. Easy. Everyone's going to see the value in it. So first I'll start by saying that, that the feedback has been very good so far, right? I think part of it is educating people that there are other options out there, right? Besides the traditional books, once they actually do get on the app, 
they, they tend to like, right. It's not for everybody. I'm not gonna say we have 100% um, positive feedback, but people that do actually check it out do tend to like it. What we've also done, if we, we've also tried to focus on existing communities that, uh, you know, might already understand the value add. So as an example, like going to a fraternity, um, at, at a college and you have a group of guys there who are already betting against each other and really looking for a way to solidify, consummate, track those bets. Right. I, I've talked to several fraternities recently who are like, oh yeah, we got a fraternity bookie. Right. It's like, whoa, 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 guys. Why don't you just let us handle all this? Right. And so I think for, for groups like that, that already makes, uh, makes inherent sense. You know, in addition to that, you look around these days, you see everyone's got a group, a betting group chat, right? If you watch sports, you got a betting group chat. Everyone's got a fantasy, fantasy football group, right? I said earlier, I'm on message boards occasionally. So the communities are there. And so for us, when we talk about user acquisition, it's really just trying to find those communities and then convert them into being cut users rather than, you know, having to turn a regular person into a better overnight, which I think is what, unfortunately, I think a lot of these other platforms, excuse me, um, that's what they've kind of been trying to implement is, Hey, how can we get every granny to granny mother or sister out there betting on FanDuel when I think they're, they're kind of missing the, missing the boat there a bit. Um, the final thing I'll say about this is that I, I do think that peer to peer opens up a lot of doors that a traditional book can, um, cannot open. Um, as an example, one of the things that we're looking to do is we're looking to get, um, you know, betting going against celebrities, right. You know, so you, you have someone like Rob Gronkowski come on here, you know, or, and says, Hey, I'm, I'm going to take the Patriots this weekend. Right. You know, who wants to bet against me? And, and I think that's something that may seem a little gimmicky, but I think that that is a great way and a fun way, right. For, for casual betters to engage, um, with other fans, right. You know, have, imagine Drake wanting to bet a million dollars on the Raptors, right. And farming that out to, you know, a thousand of his biggest fans. And so I think that's something that we can do in the peer to peer space and cut can do specifically that we're already working on that a traditional operator just can't because it is not peer to peer and they don't have those same network effects. Yeah, for sure. And I guess just sticking with the sort of celebrity aspect for a moment, you alluded to the fact that, you know, in addition to the traditional sports markets, you know, your post markets on, uh, you know, politics and anything with a verifiable outcome, which includes a lot of, you know, what we'll call like entertainment props, so to speak. Yeah. Just curious yeah. from like a, an adoption perspective, like what are you seeing on the platform? Um, I guess looking at traditional sports versus some of these non-traditional markets and I guess ultimately like what upside potential do you see tapping into some of the more pop culture side of things and, and all of that with the celebrities that you just talked about? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, and, and I get this question a lot. It's like, you know, do you really think that there are people out there that, that want to bet on stuff besides sports? You know, the obvious answer right now is the 2024 election, right? You point to that and you say, hey, I think they, I've seen a couple stats that, you know, over a billion, if not several billion was bet um, in 2020 on the 2020, or sorry, on the 2020 presidential election. Right now, if you, if you sneeze the wrong way, you know, the opposite political persuasion wants to attack you. So, you know, I think the 2024 presidential election, we will see even more being bet. But let me also say this, I'll, I'll give you an example. So I was on Facebook the other day. No one uses Facebook in my, in my age group anymore. I would imagine it's probably the same for you, but I was on Facebook looking up something and I, I wanted to find a betting group. Um, and we were putting up a bet for America's Got Talent. And so just out of curiosity. You know, basically I have to say, hey, is the America's, America's Got Talent game show, is that going to be won by an individual or a group? Is it going to be won by a male or a female? 
So I looked at, you know, I was on Facebook and I was looking to see if they had any fan groups, right? So I type in America's Got Talent on Facebook groups. You would not believe the number of people out there who are religiously tracking the show. Top four groups size-wise. One had almost 500,000 users. Second one had almost 200,000. Third and four had almost 100,000 users. So again, not saying all those people are real necessarily or all those people are even active, but there is interest out there that is unbelievable. And people like that have been ignored so long for, you know, for their interests. And again, I mean, I think these communities are out there and it's really just finding them. And then obviously, you know, the second component is, is, hey, do you want to bet on this? Right. Which is a separate conversation. But getting back to your original question, I do think that non-sports markets not only are bettable, but I, I think that there are literally millions of people out there who want to bet on stuff besides sports. I mean, and I think you see this right now in the, in the prediction markets, right? There are a lot of people out there who are wanting to predict, you know, anything. And so I think we, we want to tap into that same vein. Awesome. And then final thing on the product I want to ask about is, is gamification. I know you're doing some work right now to incorporate some sort of gamified elements into it. And I'm not sure if I have a green light to say this, but I know you're doing a little bit of work with the team over at Scrimmage. Shout out Dan and Matt and the team. Um, can you just talk about, I guess, how you're thinking about gamification and sort of what role that plays in the cut uh, experience? Well, I was going to shout out Dan and Matt, but you <laughs> took your problem. No, um, we met with them a couple months ago. Great guys, love what they're doing. And, you know, as, as I told them at the time, this is one less thing for us to develop. If you've already got, you know, you've already got the Cadillac or the Rolls Royce of rewards programs, let's just work together. Um, so shout out them. Um, yeah, with, with, with regards to scrimmage, I mean, so listen, it, it's gamification to a certain degree, but I think that the bigger picture here, it, it's more about giving guys a reason to engage with a platform beyond just the betting component, right? Rewarding users for, for using a platform is a no-brainer, but we really want our users to develop a brand loyalty. We want them to really ingrain themselves into the cut ecosystem, you know, not just a transactional experience, which is what we talked about with the FanDuels and DraftKings of the world, you know, but really develop a sense of community. And I, I think that the gamification of scrimmage, um, the rewards program in general, I think is a way to do that. And so, yeah, the guys in scrimmage have built a really, really, really cool program and interface that is going to really capitalize on people's engagement and then give them kind of a gamified way to increase that engagement that we're, we're really excited about. And yes, we are rolling that out in a couple of days. Awesome. Let's shift gears here a little bit, Sim, and, and just talk about the funding side of all of this. And for folks listening, uh, you know, can you give them a bit of context as to how you've you know gotten to this point and then maybe talk a little bit about any future fundraising plans you might have? Yeah, for sure. So um, I guess to start with, I, I bootstrapped the business until I couldn't anymore. If you go look at my credit score, you'll see where I stopped. It's, it's not, uh, that's, that was tough. But yeah, we, we have since raised a mid six figures angel round. So we've done that. That's been closed. We did that earlier this year. We are also in the process of raising more meaningful round right now. So we're actually open. We are waiting on a couple of VCs. We're in the final stages of due diligence at the moment. And we do expect a couple term sheets soon. So if you are listening to this, we are open for business. <laughs> Feel free to shoot me an email. You can, you can hop, a, hop aboard the train. But yeah, we're, uh, we're trying to ramp up with a more meaningful fundraise that we actually can, uh, can add some fuel to this fire. Awesome. And I guess just as you're out there right now and, and having those conversations, what's your read on just the market right now? And obviously it's a challenging environment. Um, how, how's that all going for you? And, and yeah, what's your experience been uh, thus far with it? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. Fundraising has never been easy for us. I don't know if it's me. <laughs> I don't know if it's a product or, you know, macro environment or what, but 
Fundraising has never been easy for us. Uh, we didn't go through any of these accelerators. I can't say that my Rolodex was big. I was going to say six months ago. Now, even now, it's probably still not not massive. But I do think that the tides are turning a little bit. But I don't know if that is the macroeconomic environment getting better or if it's the fact that cut is growing itself, right? So we've been increasing revenues and things like that. I'll say this is that what was going on over a year ago, you know, let's say mid or let's say from 2020, 2021 to 2022 was unsustainable. I mean, we're, we're looking at a lot of companies out there that were pre-launch, pre-revenue getting four, five, six million dollars. And it just doesn't make sense, right? And, and I've, I've actually seen several of those companies go under since. So it's obviously not getting back to that point, which is good and bad. You know, for someone like me, on one hand, I would, I would love if someone threw 10 million bucks at us. But on the other hand, you know, I think it does level the playing field a bit more and it becomes more of a show me, prove to me that you can do it rather than tell me you can do it. So I think it's better, but I doubt we ever get back to the, you know, the last couple of years of just throwing money at, at things and, uh, and hoping something works. Yeah. The, the days of raising money with a pitch deck and a dream, I, I think are behind us, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it was funny. Like I was, I was always, you know, people always told, told me, oh, it's a great idea, man. You should, you should talk to a hundred people and someone will be bound to throw a million dollars at you. And that's, that never quite happened for us. So if you're out there struggling to raise money, uh, just know that it is the exception rather than the rule to raise money quite quickly and in the magnitude that the media says it happens. Yeah, absolutely. Let's also quickly talk about just your founder journey so far. And look, I mean, you, as you alluded to at the beginning here, you did a pretty hard pivot from the finance world and that trajectory and into the world you're now in. And, you know, that comes with a lot of different challenges. You and I have spoken about some of those as well. And just curious if, if you're willing to sort of talk about, you know, maybe what have been some of the harder aspects so far for you, or maybe one of the bigger challenges that you've sort of had to overcome to get cut to where it's at today. Yeah. 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 I mean, this, uh, hopefully this doesn't turn into a therapy session too, uh, too quickly, but <laughs> um, yeah. So basically uh, a year ago I moved out of, so I was in New York city for, uh, for five and a half years, as I said, working, um, you know, I did cut basically nights and weekends for the first couple of years. Um, so I was essentially working two jobs. And then last year I had a pretty eye-opening conversation with an investor who just said, Hey man, you've got to take this, this next step. And, and that really means turning to cut full time. Right. So I said, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to show this guy, which by the way, I, I won't say any names here, but I have since tried to reach out to that guy several times after I quit my job to tell him that, Hey, I'm on cut full time. And he ghosted me. So I'm um, shout out to you, buddy. But basically I moved out of New York because I was not paying myself and still I'm not paying myself anything. And I moved back home. Um, and I don't tell a ton of people that, but I will let all your listeners know that it's okay <laughs> it's, it's to, to have that founder story. So I moved back home and listen, man, I mean, it, it sucks, right? You know, initially I was thinking that it would be, uh, you know, call it two, three months. We'd get the product launched. We'd raise a ton of money and then be on my merry way. I'd go back to New York or, you know, somewhere else, um, you know, big city wise, but that hadn't happened. Right. And for good or for bad, being at home has really allowed me to focus on cut, cut alone, right? I work nonstop, which again, good and bad. I think investors like hearing that, you know, but, but for me, it's like, you know, I haven't had a social life in over a year. I put up a ton of money. I basically self-funded for a very long time. Uh, as I said earlier, my credit score now reflects that and my bank account now reflects that. And I gotta tell you, man, I mean, it's, it's tough, you know, it's tough when you're, especially at my age, you know, you see a lot of your friends who are finally making it financially and they're traveling, living their best life. Um, you know, meanwhile, I'm glued to a computer for 14, 15 hours a day. You know, I go to bed late, don't get as much sleep as I used to. Got a few more gray hairs than I used to. So listen, I mean, it's, 
it's not glamorous, but I think that you have to remember what the ultimate goal is. And, and I'm lucky that I do have friends that try to remind me of that. And it, it's funny because it's like, you, they're never going to understand, you know, but it is still nice to hear them say that, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm excited, you know, for when this finally does succeed, if we can all celebrate then, but yeah, it, it is a bit of a grind, I admit. And it's, uh, it's something that I think it's obviously it's a necessary evil, but it, it doesn't necessarily make that any more fun. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the vulnerability there and, and sharing that because, uh, look, you're right. It, it's, you know, sometimes built up to be this glamorous thing. And, and the reality is, is mostly not, <laughs> especially in the early days yeah. and really trying to go from zero to one. Right. Well, I, and I was going to say, I mean, I think that's probably the, the, the biggest or the toughest step is just going over that zero to one. Right. You know, I think once you, once you get in kind of the media, once you raise, you know, money, a decent amount of money and get into the media and get the PR, you know, I think things do get easier. And, and people look at you and, you know, it's like, oh, you have a little bit of credibility. Okay. Therefore I'm going to stick my neck out and introduce you to so-and-so, but the zero to one is especially difficult because you are not necessarily front and center, you know, with a lot of, so like, I, you know, I'll tell you another frustration I get all the time, which is when strangers shit on cut in a public domain, that drives me absolutely insane. Right. So I get, I get, you know, we'll post something on Twitter. Right. And I'm, I'm, we're not as active on Twitter as we probably should be, but we'll post something on Twitter occasionally. You know, you get the occasional troll that says, oh, this is a scam. This is not real. You know, they're, they're going to take your money. And, and, it, and I have to fight every fiber of my being not to respond to that person. And, and in fact, a lot of times I do, you know, and it's not always just me. We have a couple, couple of people on our Twitter account, but you know, a lot of times like stuff like that, it just drives me insane. And so I feel like I have to respond. Right. Which then gets me into a a shouting match with, you know, some guy with three followers and he probably lives in, uh, you know, lives in Turkmenistan or something. Right. And so it's, I think that's the part, you know, obviously the internal, there is a bit of an internal struggle, right. With yourself, but there's also that external struggle, which is credibility, you know, getting that validity, right. Um, and saying, okay, Hey, what we're doing is legit. I put my entire life savings into this, right. Um, this is my baby. And then getting people to accept that which is, it's, it's quite a process and definitely does not happen overnight. And it's something that I go up against every day that definitely adds to my stress. Well, let's, uh, let's shift one more time here and go full circle. We started this conversation uh, talking about the NFL kickoff. So let's talk about the rest of the NFL season ahead of us here, Sim. And what are you focused on for milestones for the rest of the season? And I guess, you know, when we get to the end of the season and you look back on it, what does a successful 2023 season look like for Cut? Yeah, you know, it's funny. We we also started this conversation by saying that it's funny the premium that people put on football season. And I think right. everyone in this industry measures uh, success by how well they perform in football season. Funny enough, March Madness has actually been our best period thus mm -hmm. far. Now, granted, we did not have a full, you know, we didn't have the user base, the full user base that we do now back last football season. So maybe that's a bit of an unfair comparison. But Football, it's, it's obviously the thing that everyone knows and everyone tends to bet on, but I don't think necessarily it is the best measure of success, especially for a startup, right? Especially for one like us who, who also focuses on non-sports stuff as well. However, yes, football is very important. So, you know, one of the things that we're uh, rolling out are a couple of new features. Uh, one of them being this rewards, obviously we just talked about that. We're rolling out partial fill of bets, which I think is going to be very big for us, right? So instead of someone saying, hey, this is an all or nothing bet you have to take. You could say, Hey, I want to take uh, maybe 50% of that bet or 20% of that bet, which is nice because we do, we do have many people on the app who bet thousands of dollars, um, on games. So that's nice. In addition to that, we're working on some additional deposit options right now. And then also just kind of more markets and deeper markets. 
right? You know, so we talk about things like half timelines, some props in there, uh, you know, and then also uh, additional sports. So for us, while football season is obviously important, I think for us, the success more comes from just continued product iterations and product launches. Um, that just happened to coincide with football. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of the stuff that I just mentioned will actually increase our activity and, uh, and usage. Looking back on football, you know, okay, so let's say we come to the Super Bowl. You know, I think success for us would, would really begin and ends with the fundraise. Uh, a successful, I shouldn't say a fundraise, a meaningful fundraise, right? So we've, we've, we've been raising money. We've, we've raised money in the past, continue to raise money. But a more meaningful fundraise, I think, will allow us to do the marketing that we want to do and get the name out in the way we want to uh, want to get it out. Because it, it works both ways, right? You could have a, an absolutely phenomenal product with no marketing, no one knows. You could have fantastic marketing, but with no product, no one cares, right? And so I think for us, we've got the product side down now, and now it's about the marketing and getting our name out. Last NFL question, I swear, and despite the fact you just disclaimed it's not the be-all and end-all for you, I got to ask who you got in the Super Bowl. Uh, great question. I, I, should, should I say the Chiefs even after last night? <laughs> um, listen, I, I've thought about this. I've thought about this several times, which full disclaimer, I'm actually a bigger college football fan than I am a pro football fan. But I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it. I kind of like the Jets coming out of the AFC. This, this remind. I mean, they're getting, obviously everyone's talking about them now, right? This kind of reminded me of Brady's year, Super Bowl year in Tampa, right? Where they, they got their guy at QB. They already had some pieces and they added a couple of just kind of plug and play type guys. So the Jets almost seemed like a team of destiny, right? Uh, so on that side, and then I guess I'll take the 49ers out of the NFC, even though the NFC to me is, I just think, I feel like the NFC is, is not as flashy defense oriented and, uh, and a bit boring these days, but, um, Hey, if you disagree with me, come bet against me on cut. I'll, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take your bet. So yeah, we'll go Jets 49ers. All right. You heard it here first. Um, takes us to the standard closing question, Sim. I'll just quickly wrap it off for you here. If you weren't working on cut or doing anything in sports betting or anything in any past career chapters you've had in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead? You know, I like to reframe this question that, hey, if money was not an issue, because okay. at the end of the day, money, money dictates a lot of things in life. If money was not an issue, I would be traveling the world, living on some boat somewhere, right? Uh, that'd be great. However, money is an issue. So corporate life was never for me. I always wanted to be my own boss. You know, I love to gamble. So like for me, what was the natural progression? This was something that I've always wanted to do. Oh, gambling and or, uh, gambling, quote unquote, and fun you know, Hey, great. Let's marry those two together and create cut. So, you know, I've, I've always, I've always had an idea like this to be my own boss, but yeah, listen, my goal has always been to retire to a yacht in the Mediterranean. So if you find a job picking up traps somewhere for $10 million a year, let me know. Maybe, maybe you can convince me to, to quit cut and do that. For people listening that want to check out the product and or get in touch with yourself, can you give a quick plug to how they can go about doing that? Yes, sir. So we have several ways to download the app. What I tell people is the easiest is just go to cut.com. That's K-U-T-T.com. Uh, we have download links there, right? So you do that. We're, uh, we're on the app store as well as a desktop version, but you can, again, find both those, both those links um, on our website. All of our social media is at cutbet, K-U-T-T-B-E-T. And then you can always email me. My email is sim, S-I-M, at cut.com. And please don't make me regret giving that out. <laughs> I probably should have given the support email, but uh, yeah, always open. I try to respond to most emails, even the ugly ones. 
Look, Sam, I've really enjoyed this conversation today. Really wishing you and the team uh, a lot of success over the NFL season and beyond and look forward to continuing to follow the story. Sure, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me. I do appreciate it. And yeah, everyone go check out Cut. Put your money where your mouth is. Thank you.